Hello, everybody. Gary Wilkerson here with my friend and co-worker, theologian and missionary, Keith Holloway. Keith was teasing me this week about me calling him a theologian every week. Um, but I think anybody that studies theology, uh, the study of God, and does so diligently can classify that. It's not just you have a degree and I have a degree, but that's not the only qualification. Uh, one of our favorite writers that, we've been, that started this whole series was A.W. Tozer, who was not uh, didn't have his doctorate in theology, but he was certainly... Uh, a great scholar and a theologian. So we're, we're, we're going to uh, dovetail on his credentials, even though we don't have mm -hmm. uh, the ability to communicate like uh, a man like th that had. But uh, we've been speaking of the attributes of God, uh, the nature and character of God, who he is, and how important that is in a society like ours, where the uh, culture as a whole has seemed to forgotten God, and the church itself seems to have lost the high view of God. You know, Keith, we've been talking a lot about that lately, haven't we? The high view and the low view of God. Um, I, I didn't prep you to ask you that question, but can we just review maybe a little bit? What's your take on um, t today's culture and church as, as concerning a high view and a low view of God? Let's just touch on that first before we get on today's topic, which is the judgment of uh, God as judge. Does he judge today? Will he judge America? Does he judge nations? Does he judge peoples? today. That's the topic. But the high view and low view of God would be what? Yeah. Well, hi, Gary. It's good to be with you again today. And uh, um, yeah, I don't always feel like a theologian, uh, trying mm -hmm. to uh, do my part, uh, be faithful uh, to study uh, and to bring something of substance to, to my life and to those that we minister to. But uh, yeah, we would just encourage everyone to go back and take some time and invest in looking at some of the older podcasts that we've done the last few weeks uh, to kind of get up to speed with us. But the high view of God and the low view of God basically can be a high view of God is, is uh, understanding and seeing God in the concept of his own revelation uh, that is predominantly coming from scripture. Uh, he reveals himself from Genesis to Revelation and what he does, how he acts, uh, what he says, his relationship with his creation. And he reveals himself according to uh, the truth of who he is. And therefore, his attributes are very important for all of us to know and to understand. We have to embrace these biblical concepts, uh, even, even though we see through a glass darkly, uh, and even though we're kind of viewing upon uh, such immenseness and um, uh, the highness of God, uh, but we need to see him as he really is. The low view of God is in somewhat the opposite of that, obviously. It's uh, really either neglecting or being ignorant of or perhaps even rejecting the biblical revelation of who God is. And in turn, through often means of religion, we bring God down to our level. Uh, there is, we talked about uh, a few times at least, about how in our human realm and our human capacity, we're using human uh, words and human concepts and experiences and elements to describe God. Uh, we find it even in the Bible where they would say, um, um, not necessarily in describing God, but the concept of using humanness to describe the divinity. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, using the words, he is as something um, uh, or like something. It's taking something that's difficult for us to understand or to explain and using human concepts. 
but the low view is um, bringing God down. And Jeremiah, it was actually a rebuke. God said, you know, you you think that I'm altogether as you are, but in fact, I'm not as common as that. I'm altogether different. And so um, our purpose uh, in this few weeks has been to try to bring people back to uh, scriptural principles, scriptural revelation, looking at his attributes, hopefully reigniting in people both an understanding and a desire to see God as he truly is so that we can understand more fully uh, the concept of our lives and the construct by which we live in. Uh, and can recognize his dealings with us in a more clear and defined way. Yeah, I love that. That's uh, that's why we've been sort of uh, coming back to the same issue. You know, somebody just tuning in right now, maybe they listen to some of our past uh, episodes in the past few weeks and say, well, you've already been talking about that high view, low view of God. Well, we want to talk about it again because it's so crucial to our faith. We cannot sustain a passionate, vibrant, spiritual faith without having that high view of God and uh, a church cannot be vibrant and soul winning and worshipful without that high view of God. And I think the way to tell um, that, you know, cause you can, you can study scripture and have a intellectual high view of God. Like, Oh, I know all these doctors of God and still yet have a low view of God in the sense of worship. To me, the, this, this high view of God is something that, that takes your breath away. It is awe inspiring. It's, it's, you know, the awesomeness of God, uh, you know, we use these words so lightly, uh, you know, uh, that touchdown pass was awesome. Uh, that pizza I had last night was awesome. But, you know, that word for me needs to be reserved for God, that that he alone is really uh, the, the full def- definition of awesome. And when I see him in his awesomeness, like uh, John did on the Isle of Patmos, uh, he sees the seven churches, but then he sees one in the middle of it and his breath is taken away. He loses sight of the seven churches now and his focus is where it should be on, on the one in the middle uh, Isaiah, I saw the Lord you know, high and lifted up his train of his robe filled the temple. You know, these are breathtaking experiences. These are mm-hmm. these are transformational experiences. And and the I think the outcome of that then is is a high view of worship. We worship with full adoration and affection. Uh, high view of obedience. We have a circumcised heart because we want to obey him uh, because we see him as high and lifted up more, more than us, better than us. Uh, other than us, so it, it, I think it affects uh, our um, our study of the Word of God. We we get hungry, uh, and conversely, the same thing. A low view of God, the, the Word of God is dull. Prayer is meaningless. Uh, God is not a God who's very present, so prayer has no real impact effect on our life. So He's kind of a Sunday go to meeting God. The low view of God, and unfortunately, the uh, secular society is demanding this me-centered lifestyle. And as a result of the me-centered lifestyle, the churches are adapting to that and say, come to church and we'll help you how to be a better me. You know, we'll help me get exalted, uh, me get improved, me get your best life ever. And, you know, church is not about us. It's about God first. Uh, and then it touches us. And so uh, I, I think, um, and particularly now as we go into talk about the judgments of God, uh, that if, if any attribute is held in low view, in the American culture today, and even in the American church today, I would say it's the, the two next ones we're going to be talking about, the judgment of God this week, and then the wrath of God, Lord willing, next week. Uh, these are two things that are held in low view. And I believe, I'll just give you my take on it, first of all, that is because the uh, we're trying to give God a makeover. Um, God would be more uh, acceptable, more palatable to culture and to a church that we're trying to fill up the pews or the chairs 
uh, we will draw more people to us if if we P, uh, change God's PR. Uh, let's 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 uh, let's tone down that fierceness. That um, let, let's let's highlight the lamb and um, let's let's tell God not to to highlight that lion part of Himself. Uh, you know, C.S. Lewis talks about that when when uh, I think it's the little girl Lucy says, "You know, are you safe?" He goes, "You know, his his comment was he's not. You know, he's 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 fearsome. He's 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 good, but he's not necessarily safe in the way we would think." We desire safety. So that low view is this this campaign to eliminate seeing God as a God who could ever judge anybody or a nation or a people, particularly have any wrath in him or send somebody to, eternally to hell. And so we're rewriting scripture, we're rewriting um, our definition of God in order to accommodate a society that doesn't want him to be seen in this high lift, lifted up view of God, a, a high view of God holds to his justice, as we talked about last week, his judgment, his wrath, his holiness, um, his, 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 his uh, present, his omnipresence, he's everywhere at all times. And, he, and when he's everywhere at all times, he brings everything that he has to that everywhere he is. So if he's everywhere, uh, he's not just in me in grace and kindness and love, he's in me in justice and holiness as well. Uh, we can talk later about the wrath of God, maybe one attribute being removed from us because it's been um, covered by the blood of Jesus Christ and the cross. He took the wrath away. But it doesn't mean that God is not still a God of wrath. Anyway, so let's start with the definition. Um, uh, a, a definition of uh, judgment. I, I think there's two kinds of judgment, but why don't you start with just what you feel or believe or have read or studied about. Uh, when we're talking about this, it's good to start with the definition so people don't get confused as to what we're talking about. It doesn't necessarily mean he's um, he's Zeus in heaven with uh, sitting on a throne with lightning bolts to try to, to destroy everybody who displeases him instantaneously. Uh, we're not talking about that kind of judgment. So what, what are we talking about? Well, from, you know, the dictionaries uh, always is a good place to start. Uh, we can't just stick to the dictionaries along because we need to move into uh, a biblical definition as well to get more understanding. But the the uh, dictionary says that it's really just uh, the ability to make informed decisions. Uh, that word to judge or judgment uh, always forms in my mind the Perry Mason uh, trial that's going on. Uh, and uh, all for, of the evidence is coming out. For, I have to stop you there because for our viewers, uh, if they're under 50, uh, which, which we are not, uh, that was what, who is defined Perry Mason before you define judgment. No. Uh, uh, so I'll re back play that and say um, it brings to my mind uh, Law and Order. Uh, oh, okay. I, I never saw that show. I just know it was a court show. Yeah. But any kind of court thing or, or the times that maybe you've been in court, uh, some of our viewers may may have had that experience. But uh, uh, it's the it's the uh, it's the presenting and the consideration of all the evidence in order to give uh, an informed, authoritative, uh, cohesive decision on on something. Um uh, the uh, biblically, uh, the word uh, is krenos. And it it uh, means really more to to separate, uh, to make a distinction between, uh, to and that's to give a verdict or give a uh, to give a decision on, on the evidence that would separate uh, 
um, something or someone. And so when we think of God in his uh, judgment, uh, God in his justness that we talked about last week, uh, he is not sitting back as an ignorant judge, ignorant in the sense that he doesn't have all the facts. He's waiting to see what happens before he decides. He knows the end from the beginning, but he's allowing uh, his free will creation to move and uh, to, to, to make decisions and to uh, live life. And then he will make a final determination. And uh, of course, in the Bible, he gives not only illustration, but the soon reality that he will give a judgment and it will separate or make a distinction between the righteous and the unrighteous, the, the sheep and the goats, um, and uh, the righteous and the wicked. I mean, he's going to make that kind of a distinction. So I think it's a, it's a decision based upon um, who God is, but also in respect to how people live in relationship uh, to him. Mm-hmm. That's, that's very clear. The um, as, as we enter into to looking at the God as judge, God as one who brings judgment, and then a little, little later on in today's episode, the, the, the pertinent questions that a lot of people are asking, you know, does God judge still today? Um, mm-hmm. Are things like the coronavirus a possibility? Is there any role in God's judgment in, in that or 9-11 or the 2008 economic collapse in America or uh, some of the historical things, uh, earthquakes, famines, or any of those judgments of God or all those from Satan. Some people say they're from Satan, so we're going to talk about that. But one of the things that the Holy Spirit brought to my attention this week that really blessed me was, uh, and, I, and as we've been studying attributes, I had not seen this till recently, that every attribute of God is not one that came to be after creation so it wasn't like uh, Adam and Eve came to earth and then Adam and Eve sinned. So now God had to learn how to become a judge. Uh, all the attributes of God are immutable. In other words, they, they cannot mutate or change. Uh, all of God's attributes are eternal. All of God's attributes are the very essence of his being. So he didn't start judging when he created things. He's always been uh, a God of justice and judgment uh, that's always been in his nature and character. So you think about that. Uh, judgment was justice and judgment were in the in the Trinity before there was ever an Adam or Eve or you or I. To me, that says that that that's not something he just does, uh, like decree certain decisions based on judgment. But it's something that he is. He 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 he. And it's not negative necessarily because there was nothing to be negative judgmentally against. In the in the in eternity before creation, so God was a judge, uh, judging good things in a sense, like this is good. Uh, and then when He did start creating, he, he that's what He said: "This was good." My my judgment says this is good. So I think from the start of this, we want to portray God as as He is. That even His judgments are married to His goodness and His grace and His and His mercy and His kindness. All of these things. Are wrapped up in his nature. So that, that's kind of a misnomer of judgment. It's like mercy good, judgment bad. Well, judgment is good because it's, as you defined it, it's it's discerning, right? It's making proper judgments about things. The father saw and judged how good the spirit was, and the spirit judged and saw how good Jesus was, and it brought devotion and love. And then he created man and woman, and so that was good, that was a discernment, that was a judgment, and man and woman judged that God was good at first until the enemy came in and 
brought a false judgment against God. So all this form is judgment, and maybe in a sense judgment is not evil or good in itself, or good or bad, or positive or negative. It's 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 right. It's truthful consideration of aspects as they really are. And the good thing about that is God is the only one who can know that. Like because He is omniscient, He knows everything. So His judgments are always just and perfect and right and true. So, so that that's a, that's a definition. Uh, do you see it that way too? Do you see judgment being? Uh, have you seen it as all negative? Not, when I say negative, I don't mean it in the sense of, you know, again, bad PR for God, but more like um, causing negative things to happen. Or do you see it as both? Well, it contains, uh, it contains, I think, two different uh, divisions, if you will, or two parts of judgment. Uh, but the reason why we accept judgment is the same reason why we accept just, justice, or at least we should. And that is because both come from a just and good and only righteous God. Uh, Psalms, uh, uh, Psalm 7 verse 11 makes this statement that God is just, um, God is a just judge. Psalms uh, 7 verse 11. So it is saying that because he is just, uh, because he is righteous, because he is holy, all of the attributes, uh, because he is that, then what flows out of him, uh, which we readily want and accept is justice. But we also should be just as readily accepting of his judgments, uh, knowing that they're coming from such uh, a one as he. Um, you know, when we look to the scriptures to try to understand judgment, I think the place to start is, as you said, is realizing uh, that God is just. When uh, I, I went back and read Psalms um, chapter 50 this week, and as well, uh, Psalm 75. And in because the, both of those uh, chapters speak a lot of God and his justness and his justice and his judgments. And um, Psalms 50, the whole chapter basically is just saying that God is a righteous judge. Uh, because he is holy and because he is righteous, then what flows out of him has to carry the same character. It has, it, it, it's like you say, he doesn't put it on, it just flows out of him. And right. his judgments are true and just. And then Psalm 75, the whole chapter speaks of really thanksgiving for those who see God as he is, and then embrace his justice and his judgments as an outflow of his attributes. It's a whole chapter uh, basically saying, thanks for being who you are, and thanks for doing what you do, even if I don't understand it. And yeah. at times I don't like it, and at times it may go against me. But I still recognize the fact and, and admit to the fact that you are righteous and thanksgiving. I mean, how many people today really, I mean, honestly, give God praise and thanks for judgments? They don't because perhaps, as we've said, it, it's the low view of God. I think another is that um, in, our, in our ways of seeking and really, I think, honestly, wanting to understand God, we've, when we bring him down, we uh, we've unfortunately, I think, made him so common that we think of him as father. We think of our earthly fathers. And then we begin to say, well, man, my earthly father was this or that. He was less than. Well, then we carry that over to God. We don't mean to, I think, a lot of times, but I think we just are inherently uh, attribute things to him that are not from the high view. 
Um, so when we look again at scripture, Psalm 76, 9 uh, speaks of the majesty uh, of God's judgments. God arose to judgment to deliver all the oppressed. Now, who would say we don't want God's judgments? No, we want God's judgments. And his judgments uh, here, it says in Psalm 76, 9, is to bring uh, a deliverance to people who are oppressed. So um, understanding judgments has to first take its foundation in understanding and acknowledging who God is. And then from that, uh, move on. So, uh, yeah, uh, trying to track with you on setting that foundation first, that God is just and that he has uh, because of who he is, frankly, he's really the only one who has a right to sit on the throne over all of creation and to uh, execute um, both justice and judgments. Right. And um, sometimes trying to discern all that seems to be a little bit beyond our capacities, um, maybe uh people move away from it because they just don't want to put forth the effort to think critically about these things but what joy it is uh i was really challenged uh psalms 50 psalm 75 um uh psalm 76 do i really recognize him as uh a just judge and am i giving him thanksgiving and am i recognizing his majesty it's yeah. been a really uh, challenging uh topic. And yet I, I'd like to believe, and I'm going to say it, I believe that I do see him that way. I, I It brings uh, a joy, but it also brings uh, a reverence. Uh, of course, the scriptures call that the fear of God. Yeah. And so yeah. I think that flows out of that, Gary. Yeah. All those Psalms you're talking about, uh, I'm tracking with you and say a hearty amen to that. And it goes all the way, I, I mentioned this to you before, it goes all the way into the, to the final judgment with a capital J in the book of Revelation. When, when the people of God are standing around the throne and you know the uh, angel pours out his bowl in uh, Revelation 16, verse 5 and 6, and, and, and what, the, what the crowds, whoever they are that's surrounding the throne at that point, uh, when they see this, this, this bowl of, of you know, God's judgments being poured out, they don't go like, oh, God, you're so mean, or like, like we look at today, you know, you're such a you know, divine child abuser. Uh, you're, you know, you know uh, I would, you, you mentioned father, like so many talk about God's judgment. And they say, like, as a good father, I would never punish my child like that and stuff like that. But, you know, and, 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 and so we don't really understand God as father the way uh, it's, it's, it's not that that metaphor doesn't quite fit. But um, in the in this verse, here it says, just are you, a holy one who is and was and brought forth these judgment for they have shed the blood of the saints and the prophets and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve and heard the altar saying, yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. They're worshiping God uh, for his judgments. And that's something we don't really do. I, you know, I'm with you. I, I believe I see the judgment of God uh, in, in good light, not always easy and painful. And I, and I grieve over the results of sometimes of judgment. Um, but at the same time, they're, they're you know, there, there is an agreement with God that he is, I know, he, you know, even I don't always feel it. I know he's right. I know he's just, I know all that he does is good. I know all that he allows is good, but I'm not at the place yet of, you know, Revelation 16, where I might go just and true. Yay. Amen. You know, you're, uh, you know, to small degrees. Yes. Like if somebody hurt one of my 
children and uh, that person got arrested. I go, justice, yeah, they, you know, put them in jail and, uh, you know, mercy may come out of that and I want to make, forgive them and minister to them, but, uh, you know, that's the heart of God. Uh, but but uh, so we're defining justice as the right judgments, the right discernment, the right results, uh, the right um, uh, release from punishment, if that's the right judgment, or the giving of punishments, of dis- disciplines. And so uh, I look at uh, this topic as uh, the judgment of God with a small j. He's he's thinking, discerning, and giving the right uh, results, the right, the right, um, uh, the, the judgments are coming forth with a small j. And then I also see him uh, that I would call maybe the capital J. Uh, these are and these are the things we think about more often: uh, the flood, uh, uh, the Book of Revelation, um, and the topic today are things that are happening in the world today or any of these things that have anything to do with the judgment of God. So, so I think there's that, that's, that's what I would probably, probably classify as the capital J and often, but I think we need to, when we're defining this to, to see these two elements of judgment that, that, um, he, he was constantly, um, you, you know, for instance, in Corinthians, when they remember when they didn't, um, uh, discern the body of Christ during communion correctly during the Lord's supper, and he says, you eat and drink judgment upon yourself. Well, we know a Christian is not judged in the final judgment day as a, as a goat. Uh, you know, somebody who's been saved and born again and loves Jesus and has the blood of Christ cleansing them from all unrighteousness, if they drink of the cup the wrong way, maybe there's sin in their life or maybe whatever it might be. Uh, and it says, if you're drinking judgment to yourself, it's not saying they're you're going to lose your salvation and be judged eternally. It's saying you're, uh, God's small j maybe is, is going to bring some discipline to you. He says some of you are sick and some of you are weak. Uh, and so that's a very different kind of judgment than the Romans chapter 3. Uh, you're storing up the wrath of God on the day of judgment. Uh, the, and the day of judgment is, is maybe even a bigger capital J of, uh, of things that things are yet to come. But um, just to, let's just spend like three or four minutes uh, because I think this, this point is pretty clear. Judgment is something clearly that God brought in the Old Testament. Uh, would you say yes to that? Yes. Okay. Well, that's that's pretty quick. Uh, we have we have the example of uh, Genesis three. I think that's probably the first case uh, of judgment. Would you call that judgment the the curses, or would you not? Some people uh, when um, verse chapter three verse fourteen, the Lord. God said to the serpent, because you have done this curse are you above all livestock. You know, there's the curse upon the serpent. There's the curse upon Adam and Eve. There's the curse uh, upon the earth. Uh, and Adam and Eve, some people say, you know, we're not cursed. It was There was a curse in the ground that they would work or the curse of the womb being born. So that's, that's a matter of semantics, maybe to some degree. Um, but do you see that as a judgment? Yeah. Uh... The fact is that because God, uh, as we've established, uh, is a just God, uh, he he has not only the right, but he's inclined to always pass judgment upon sin. Anything that is offensive to him, he sees sin not just as a little mistake, a little white lie. Uh, I think all sin to God is looked at almost as if it were a crime against him, and it uh, moves him to judgment. Now he alone will decide 
uh, how he judges and what the, the judgment will be. So in Genesis, I think that, yes, he does execute a judgment, and the verdict is those curses. Or was that good English? Well, are those curses. Right. Uh, but he he passes a judgment, and then he declares a verdict. And, um, and as you said, you know, when you look at the Old Testament, you go right back to the beginning. You start seeing God as the judge. He is judging sin. He is judging people. He is judging Satan. He is judging uh, anything and everything that's in his creation. I don't know, but I suspect that uh, when most of us uh, in our search to understand and know God, especially those of us that would do so from uh, the source of the Bible, we might need to, you know, really say we need a caution here because I, I think that when we look at um, looking at God in the Old Testament, we tend to separate. There's a God of the Old Testament and there's a God of the New Testament. Right. And uh, doing that, while it might make sense in some ways, I think it leads people to perhaps come up with two views of God, that there is a God of wrath and judgment, and he's angry, and he's just ready to beat the life out of everything and everybody in the Old Testament. All of a sudden, there's this loving Pillsbury doughboy type God. And he's, you know, the people say he's the Santa Claus and he's just warm and fuzzy and cuddly in the New Testament. Well, you know, that seems almost absurd to say, say it that way, even say it. I felt a little weird because uh, I don't view God that way. But um, it's making the point that when you look at God, if you try to separate the God of the Old Testament and then bring in the God of the New, I think you come up with two views of God, and neither one is correct. And uh, to to stick to the New Testament, the God of love only, is uh, really, I think, to see uh, not only a poor illustration of who he is, I, I, I think it's criminal. I mean, I think it's just horrible because that's that is not true. You said in Genesis, and we agree that God judges right there in the very beginning. Uh, his heart was to be a God of love and mercy and walk with them in the cool of the night and have them live in perfection, live with good health, have all that they need for life and godliness, uh, to have them uh, have the attributes of God extended into their lives like he wants us to have today. And Adam and Eve were to walk in dominion. They were to walk in union. There were to be love and peace and uh, prosperity upon them. Sin came in, and immediately God judges that. I mean, you can't deny that. But you have to see that it was a God of love. His intention and his uh, character and his nature was represented in what he created was good. It was very good. He was a God of love. Um, that also carries... Um, uh, over to Genesis chapter 6, uh, where God uh, is seen as a God of uh, judge, uh, God as, uh, as judge, but also as a God of love, and um, where he looked upon all mankind, and remember, this is the God of love that created. He longed for um, uh, to have a creation that he could express himself and receive voluntary love from, and yet he looks at all mankind in Genesis 6, and he says, man, what a mess. These people, their thoughts are continually evil. Wickedness flows out of them, 
And he decrees to Noah that uh, I'm going to send uh, a flood. I'm, I'm going to send judgment. And uh, I think that that uh, flood is, I could be wrong, but I think there's only two global judgments of God in all the Bible. And this is one, and then the one to come uh, in, in Revelation 14, bringing us to the end of time. But um, could I just share one verse I thought this week? Jeremiah 48, uh, I, I was thinking how we look at God in the Old Testament as being wrathful and unloving, and then the opposite. But in Jeremiah 48, 35 to 36, uh, he says, I will bring an end to Moab, and that was because they were worshiping false gods. Uh, and he says, therefore, my heart moans for Moab. Uh, and I, that, I was so impressed by that. God says, look, I'm going to bring, I, I have to bring judgment against Moab. There is this false worship. I am being cast aside. I am being considered just one of the many gods, and they're f worshiping false gods, and they're afflicting my people, and they're affecting the spiritual attitude and the worship of my. So he says, I, I will bring an end to Moab, but simultaneously, he says, my heart will moan for them. And uh, I see that as um, no, no, there's no separation between the God of the Old Testament and God of the New. And there's, there's no sense in us trying to define him uh, primarily as one or the other. He is. He says, I am that I am. And so he shows himself, I think, very clearly. And there, there are, uh, I think, many reasons uh, for God's judgments, the basis for it. Um, but I, I would just quickly say, Gary, I see four four things in God's judgment, that it reveals God's character and his person to us. It also reveals us as to our own character and our persons. I don't think we really uh, see ourselves as clearly as we should and maybe as honestly as we should until we see him as he really is. Uh, we said last week or week before, one of us said something about in the Bible. You see, when people came literally into the presence of God, what happened to them? The, did they stand upright, look him in the eye, shake a fist? No. The Bible says they fell down at his face. They fell down at his feet. They hid their face from him. Um, there, there was that immediate, like Isaiah uh, 6, you know, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And he falls down and says, woe is me. I'm a man with unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. Uh, so reveals God's character to us and reveals us to ourselves. But also it reveals uh, to us a need for a redeemer. When we see ourselves as we really are, man, we have to cry out, have mercy upon me, a sinner. And if we don't, it's probably because we have a high view of ourselves and a low view of God. So his judgments are meant to bring to us a revelation that we really do need um, a redeemer. Aaron in the Old Testament out of uh, Exodus, uh, when he was uh, made the priest from the tribe of Levi, when he came in to the place, holy place, it says that he bore the names of the sons of Israel across his breastplate. He brought them into the presence of God and there as the priest, he would do all of those redeeming things with the blood uh, that God would consider satisfactory to forgive the sins of people. 
Uh, that's in the Old Testament. But of course, the epitome of Redeemer is in the New Testament with Christ. And then lastly, I just see that when God judges what we have seen in the Old Testament and what we see in our our lives, we we should know that there is still a judgment to come, as you mentioned. Um, there will be executions of his wrath uh, and uh, his reward. So I don't want to move into that part unless you want to, but uh, those are just a few things that I've uh, wanted to look at as I considered this week about God from the Old Testament. Yeah, it's powerful. I, lo I love those categories that you brought up because each one of them has something of value. And um, let me just dovetail a little bit and add my two cents to some of the things you're saying. I think you brought up some really profound points. You touched on the difference between the view of the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament as if they're different gods. You know, I've always attributed it to people having this picture of uh, Jesus coming to earth and, you know, kind of having love in his heart and trying to convince his father not to be so mean. And so the father is like, okay, yeah, Jesus, you know, let's try your way for a while. But, you know, Jesus and God are exactly the same. When Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the father. So right. we see, you know, and we see, we see the judgments of God you know, in the book of Revelation, but also in book of Romans and also on the cross itself. You know, some some theologians have said that the the cross is the greatest manifestation of the judgment of God ever because all the judgments of God were placed on Christ. And so the most harsh judgment is not Genesis 3 in the garden, nor, you know, Noah's flood, um, nor nor the, the plagues in Egypt, uh, but, but the, the, the greatest manifestation of judgment ever was the, all the sin, judgment of sin being placed upon the cross and then having having it uh, forgiven, having it cleansed. So that's a powerful New Testament, you know, so that's that kind of answers the question we're talking about in just a moment here is, 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 is God still judging not only in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament as well. He's still, he's still the God, he's still the God who judges. You also touched on, and I wanted to touch on this too, you also touched on you know, why does God have to be so so judgmental? Like, why doesn't he just forgive sins? Why doesn't he just excuse sin? I heard an analogy recently. I said, like, if you go into a junkyard, you get out a key, and there's a car that's been there for 50 years that's rusted and no engine in it, no tires on it, and you you scratch it, you know, you key the car, nobody's going to say anything. You know, the, the junkyard owner's not going to come out and say, what do you do to do that car? Uh, you know, you go, but if you go to Ava's rent-a-car and scratch one of their cars, they're likely to call the police. Uh, but if you go into a Maserati dealer and you take your key out and you put a big scratch on the Maserati, they're definitely gonna call the police and you're definitely gonna pay for it. It has to do with the value of that which is being offended, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we can forgive each other because of our value is different than God's value. God, mm -hmm. God cannot, you know, look upon sin and God cannot excuse the 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 the, the wicked. He cannot uh, pardon the unrighteous um, without there being judgment on it, you know. And, and again, that's why the cross is so important to us, that that Jesus paid the price in, in our place, and that's why, you know, that's why we preach the gospel. And that's, but but so that you know that, that speaks to that issue of why God has to bring judgment, and and uh, and and I love how you brought up the nice in Jeremiah 48, the heart that He did that with, and. Um, so um, let's 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 pause for a while and come back next week, and and um, continue this. We always do this, Keith. It's like we always think we're going to get six or seven questions answered, and 
and speak about the judgment of God all in one episode, and it ends up taking two or three episodes. So let's come back next week and uh, continue, and we'll really we'll really key in on this uh, key question. I think that most people are asking is, you know, what has God up to today in in judgment? Um, there's a lot of, you know, my own father David Wilkerson has a, a kind of in social media, it's, it's sort of uh, going viral. This a quote that he had uh, about what's taking place actually in our day. Um, uh, having to do with the judgments of God. So um, I want to talk a little bit about that as well. And so uh, thanks thanks for your good insight on this important topic. And what we talk about next week is actually, I think, going to be even more important. We're just laying the groundwork for it now. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll join we'll join each, each other again next week. Thanks again, Keith. Sure. Thanks, Gary. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. We want to encourage you to look back on the past episodes, particularly those that are talking about, about God, as we said in the past, we've shifted a little bit from more of the pastoral care, the interview type things where we're talking about addictions or depression or discouragement or joy, um, and moving in now to the these very important topics of the attributes of God, not because these things now are now are scholarly and, uh, and we want to change gears and be heady and theological, and those other things were more emotional and personal. These are actually emotional and personal as well, uh, again, because you're relationships with others were affected by your knowledge of God, your uh, confidence and boldness, uh, your overcoming fear and condemnation and guilt, your ability to pray, to love, to sing, to worship, to give, to be generous, to be kind. All of these things have to do with uh, how you view God. Uh, the largest indicator of the kind of life you'll live would be how you describe the God that you serve. And that's what we've been talking about. That's what we're going to continue to talk about. So join us next week. In the meantime, go back over some of the other ones. If you want to send us our quest your questions too, we're at www.worldchallenge.org and add info there. And you can write some questions to Keith or I, and we will actually uh, read those questions over the air and, and get back um, to you about that. We've had some good questions in the past. Uh, so you can write us questions and we'll get back to you on that. And also um, we'd love for you to... Uh, uh, share these um, podcasts with uh, you can subscribe to them and also share them with your friends so others can be involved we, we want this message of this high view of the glory and majesty and splendor the awesomeness of god to be spread uh globally we want this to get across it if you hear this and you're in a foreign country and you can uh tra transcribe it you can uh, put you know, the things uh, under underneath it and or, or uh, interpret it uh, let's let's get the word out to to the nations as as uh, we want God to be highly glorified, uh, that, that when he comes back one day, there'll be a, a, a glorious people worshiping him, uh, a bride without spot or wrinkle, because they, you know, the people that know their God, as Daniel says, shall be strong and do exploits. All right, God bless you guys. See you next week. The Gary Wilkerson Podcast is brought to you by World Challenge, transforming lives through the message and mission of Jesus Christ. Each week, this podcast reaches thousands of listeners. This critical work is made possible by the generous contributions of individuals like you who believe in World Challenge's mission. Thank you for listening and supporting.